Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Welcome to Start to Sail, the show that invites the brightest entrepreneurial minds to answer the most pressing questions like, what does your mom think you do for a living? <laughs> that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the conversation in our interview with Jen Rubio, chief brand officer and co-founder of Away. Jen and I met very briefly at a networking event for entrepreneurs a little over a year ago. Because of that event, I also got an Away bag, and I have been really obsessed with how awesome it is, how beautiful, durable, utilitarian Um and I got really into the company. It's a big direct-to-consumer travel company that's raised a bunch of money, and the story is really cool. I have been totally floored by its quick ascension and by how much I love my own bag, of course. So when we asked Jen to be on the show, I wanted to talk about how she built the company from nothing. She didn't even have a prototype suitcase. And then she created something big in less than three years, and she raised over $81 million in the process. In this episode, we talk a lot about how story makes a strong brand. Something that really hit me was also how Jen's brand story was such a huge piece of her fundraising experience. When she was raising money, Jen said, There were some investors, I think, when we were doing our seed round that we could have tried a little harder to convince. But, you know, our thinking was if we have to convince them now of like this most basic thing that we believe in, we're going to have to explain all of our decisions. It reminded me of how the power of the why and not the what has been pivotal for my company and in creating my own brand. At Ovenly, we don't sell treats. We make moments of joy for our clients. Yeah, salted chocolate chip cookies may be a part of what we do, but it's not why we do it. Natasha, how has story affected how you've built Cool House? I want a salted chocolate chip cookie right now. They are super good. <laughs> story is a huge, huge part of, I think, kind of our lifestyle brand and our vision. Um, and I think it's interesting to point out also that what that story is can change and evolve over time. In the beginning, I think people were really drawn to Cool House story coming out of the recession. Um, you know, for me, reinventing my career from architecture, which I had you know, a master's degree in architecture. I was working at Disney Imagineering and totally kind of going a, on a new path toward ice cream was something so many people were, were feeling connected to and it was really resonating with them because a lot of people had to turn on a different path than they were expecting to after the recession hit. And it's so important that people can relate to what's behind your brand and really, you know, identify with it and want to root you on. Um, interestingly, we spoke very little about Freya and myself being female founders. That just wasn't really part of the conversation. And if anything, maybe at that time back in 2009, it's something you almost kind of put under the rug a little bit. But, you know, over time, we realized we were really becoming one of the, if not the biggest women-owned ice cream brand distributed in grocery stores. And we said, we really need to make this more front and center. And we went out and we got a women-owned certification, which is on our packaging and it has, has now moved to the front of our packaging. And we started telling that in the, in the narrative a lot more. And I've become very, very much the face of the brand. And this was something that started resonating with people so much. And they would kind of identify with that more on social media, for example, than really any other asset of the brand. So 
that's become a much bigger part of our storytelling. And so I think you have to, you know, think about these different pieces that make your brand heritage and what do you really want to, you know, serve up for your following and make it really, really clear and concise and easy for them to understand. Because today, people expect to know so much more than just, you know, the basics of the brands they buy. It's very personal. They vote with their dollar. They want to know everything about the founders and the culture behind the brands. So you really have to be willing to share that with them. I think that's a really good point. Certain aspects of the story may become more relevant over time. But I think what we're driving at here is that to get people really connected to the brand you have to bring the life of the brand into their home. And I think that's super fascinating, and that's what we're about to talk about with Jen Rubio. Good transition. I, I don't know how it came to me. Hi. Thank you. There's a lot to unpack here. Oh, oh yeah. Great wordplay already. I got it. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the right place. Yeah. So, um I am the co-founder of Away. My co-founder, Steph Corey, is our CEO. And we started it about, um, I don't know, two and a half years ago. So not that long ago. And, and since then, it's been a pretty wild ride. But it basically all started from a broken suitcase. Um, and from that, I realized that there wasn't really um, a great travel brand or a great luggage brand. All of the luggage brands were talking about, you know, the things no one really cares about, like zippers and warranties and, and all of that stuff that we think is just table stakes. So we saw this exciting opportunity to not only create, you know, really amazing luggage, like super high quality, um, it would, you know, luggage that would typically retail for five or six hundred dollars. And because we're direct to consumer, we can offer it at a fraction of the price. Um, but more than that, we just saw this huge opportunity to create a travel brand. And and talk about you know where that bag is going to go with you and um, and the trips you're going to take it on and I think that's what's resonated so much with our audience. Absolutely, awesome. You speak a lot about the value and the strength of stories in building brands. Um, you had an interesting path that led you to your pre-away career. Will you tell us a little bit about your college years and how you ended up at brands like Warby Parker and All Saints? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my short-lived college years. <laughs> um, I, I, I grew up as a, in an immigrant family. I moved from the Philippines to New Jersey when I was seven. So I had one of those families that everyone is um, a doctor or a lawyer, and that's it. I mean, my my mom is one of thirteen. Wow. We're all doctors wow. and lawyers. I, my wife's Filipino, so I definitely know. Yeah, that. you know, yeah. it's like, and and yeah. um, I think it's funny because sometimes in interviews, people are like, "Did you have like entrepreneurship in your blood?" And I'm like, "No, I had like medicine." Yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, but I, I always, I was raised to believe I was going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer, and I was not interested in medicine at all. So I also was going to be a lawyer, but I. Um, you know, didn't get into the pre-law program that I wanted to get into. And long story short, I ended up um, taking business classes at um, at Penn State. And it was like a temporary thing since I had been like deferred. I loved it. I stayed. I took more business classes, um, did a bunch of internships, did one of those uh, long internships, like a six-month co-op where you like leave for a semester. And um and then I never came back. I I really clicked with my team that I was working for. Um, I asked them to keep me on. Which company was that? Um, I was at Johnson and Johnson. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I just really wanted to stay. And I was like, I'm going to finish. I can do like the last few credits online. I never did. So um, so I don't have my diploma. But <laughs> You're um, in an elite class of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think it was it's, it's really interesting because I didn't look at it like this at the time, but it was just me following my curiosity and what I was interested in. And like I was really liking the business classes I was taking. And then I really liked the internships I did. And I, I really loved one and decided to stay. Um, and I, I loved the work I was doing, even though had you asked me about that work a year before that, I didn't even know it existed. You know, I was doing like financial analysis on new product development and, and looking at the portfolio of new products. And um, in doing that, I was working with a lot of different people across the company and I discovered marketing. And I was like, this is really cool. These people get to decide how to talk about the product. They get to decide how people interact with it. And like they try to make people love it. Like I want to work with them. And I needed an MBA to do that at a big company, uh, which obviously I couldn't get. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I, I need another degree first. Um, so it really just like, sparked my interest in, in realizing that the way people could connect with brands and product like, was a real career. And, and I guess I didn't really know that. You know, For me, marketing was you know, a class that I had to take a few semesters. Um, and, and I think that that's what really got me into all of this. And um, long story short, I ended up leaving. I was kind of in the right place, right time doing social media. So I like joined Twitter, like 2007, when wow. it first launched, I think. And um was like helping small businesses and food trucks do it. Mm -hmm. And then that got I know bigger. That story. Yeah. And then I um, ended up being Warby Parker's first social media manager. Wow. And I think there were maybe 15 people at the time. Uh, my co founder at Away, Steph, also started on the same day. So she was doing supply chain analysis. And we both had, you know, fairly like middle of the road roles at this like very new, very fresh thing. And um, anytime you're in a company that's growing really quickly, your role grows really quickly. It changes every day. The team grows. And that was like boot camp. We just like, we learned so much in those couple of years there. So meanwhile, as all this is going on, what's your family saying? Are they like, did they kind of finally let go or are you just kind of off doing your own thing? It's so funny. Um, I think there's still a part of my mom who thinks I'm going to go to <laughs> go <school>. back. <laughs> yeah. My, when my LSAT scores expired, she actually mentioned it. I was like... Of all the things that has happened. Oh, my gosh. That, she, had happened. Like, she had, like, an alert on her calendar. <laughs> she, she has, like, a paper calendar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, it was, like, exactly. circled. The date yeah. was circled. Um, she wanted to check in yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're welcome. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think my mom doesn't fully understand what's happening, but, but she does see, um, you know, it, it's funny, like, didn't care about the New York Times, didn't care about Vogue. She saw me on, like, local news and was super excited about it. I, I she feel saw like me on that, the Filipino channel. Oh, that's big. You should super get in Is it called Mabuhai, the magazine on Filipino? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. perfect. Part of our PR strategy is, like, getting my mom to believe that I have a real job. Um, <laughs> so The ultimate goal. <laughs> but it's funny. So when I was actually doing social media and digital marketing, my mom told everyone I worked at Facebook. Because she just, you know, she couldn't. Because that's the only company right. that does that. Yeah, she just yeah. couldn't fathom that, like, there was, it, it was, like, the easiest way to, to explain right. to her friends. But anyway, I love her. She's an amazing um, dentist and oral surgeon who has no idea what I do. <laughs> well, 
You know? Incredible. That's okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to send this to her. Good. <laughs> Actually, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs on explaining what they do to oh their parents. Oh, my God. Parents. That is an yeah. amazing yeah. idea. Yeah. Because really, or they just don't the parents ever explaining understand. what the kids do. Have them on. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. wonder I like what she it. would say. I wish we could like phone a friend. Oh, this Mom. is such a fun. This should be I would love to call her in right now and be like, what does your daughter do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, she works at Facebook. <laughs> She sells Still. luggage on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. which is not wrong. Yeah. 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 You know what? Like, That's, ding, ding, ding. That is correct. <laughs> um, I read you say that the difference between a good product and a good brand is emotion. I love that. That how people interact with a brand builds value in a way that only making stuff doesn't. Was there a brand that you really related to while you were growing up that you felt connected with and emotionally connected with? Or what other brands have inspired you to create a brand that really starts with a story? Isn't it funny that no one's ever asked me this, oh. like growing up? Um, <laughs> That's why we're here. Yeah. You know hard-hitting when questions. I was, um, <laughs> when I was like 13, 14, I was in love with this boy and he was a skater. And um, I used to go to, to Sun. Mm. And I I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm totally making this up because I'm sure when I was 13, I wasn't like, these brands are amazing. Yeah. But <laughs> I remember. But you, yeah. you, know, you know that there were certain <laughs> things you were really drawn to. Yeah. yeah but and was, maybe it's more real at that time in your life, too, because yeah. it, it, you're, you're such a like, you know, kind of just open to these new like you don't have all these walls necessarily. Yeah, Because you're not you're not thinking about like people marketing to you. Right. Right. I remember. I mean, there are, there are things that, you know, like when you're when you're first going through puberty and you get your first Victoria's Secret bra and you, like, you <laughs> oh go to gosh, the mall and you're yes. like, this is this is the bra that it's like a grown up bra. A, I right. am an adult. I'm now. an adult. Yeah. I'm an angel. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like Victoria's Secret and all the skater brands in Pakistan. No, but it's it's interesting because, um, like you said, you're not, you know, you're not thinking about how people are marketing to you. Now, now it's like really hard for me. It's hard for me to actually see anything interesting without being like, what was the budget for that? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I guess when I was younger, those mall brands, like you would spend every day after school. Um, I grew up in like suburban New Jersey, but it wasn't until probably. Like right before college, I got like really into handbags, which is – and I go through these phases where I have like really nice, really expensive handbags and then just put everything in like Whole Foods totes. Um, <laughs> but it's it was actually really interesting to me because there was this forum called um, Purse Forum. And I would go on Purse Forum every day and there were just thousands and thousands of women like talking about handbags that I couldn't afford. you know, And drag queens. Yeah, but it was just, it's just insane though. But if you think about people going on their computer and like in like the dial-up days, and and literally taking pictures and talking about like colors of handbags and um, all the releases and things like that, and I think that was the first time I realized you could be obsessed with a brand. Yeah, and obsessed with like anything that a brand did and what a brand put out there. Um, so I guess like that, the the luxury world opened that up to me. Um, but you know, I would like save up and buy like like a Louis Vuitton coin purse that was like $200. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like treasured it. And then, um, and I don't know, I, I think I think that community still exists. And um, obviously like on Reddit now, there's all these um, like communities about other brands. There's there's away communities, which I really love. It wow. kind of takes me back to that time of like, there are people sitting here discussing like every aspect of our product and brand and everything we're doing, which um, which is wild to think about. It's awesome. And I think what you're saying really hits on something important is any successful brand has to create an obsession. You mm-hmm. know, it's not you're not going to get enough people. You're not going to get devoted enough of following. Um, 
So speaking of that, so I know there was a moment with starting away where like the light bulb a bit when your bag broke and, you know, this could be done better. But so much of what you're doing seems equally about passion for for travel. And maybe that's almost equally the obsession. How do you like bring that together? You know, you have the product, you have the obsession with travel. How do you connect that passion that is, you know, I imagine very much coming from you to your following and to your customers? Yeah, I mean, candidly, Steph and I, you know, didn't grow up thinking about luggage or dreaming about it or really knowing anything about it. Um, But we both love to travel. We both come from like very international families um, and, and we're lucky enough to have travel as a big part of our life. We just really didn't know how to do it any other way, which is like, which is a nice thing to say in hindsight. But um, the thought of making a piece of luggage, no matter how nice it was, um, and then just like selling it on the Internet was like not that appealing to me. And if you think about, you know, if there's 200 people that work at Away now, I don't think any of them would say to you, like, I'm here because I love to sell luggage. Right. They're there because they love travel and they love talking about it and thinking about it. And we're, we're genuinely creating a product that empowers people to do that. Um, you know, we have like our product nerds and like who are obsessing over every inch and every stitch and, and the wheels and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like we, we didn't do this to create a really good luggage brand. Like that's that's not why we're doing it. We always say luggage is just the beginning. Um, we we think all the time about other problems we can solve in the travel space. And even in the last two and a half years, if you think about some of the cool things we've been able to do as a brand. So we've done a pop-up hotel. We have a media division. So we have um, like a print and online magazine. We did like one season of a podcast last year. Um, We've done like pop-up airport terminals, like things like that. Those are all things where if we were just a luggage brand, nobody would engage with that. You know, and I think totally people from the start saw that we we stood for more. This is actually moving into a, a question we had for you, uh, which is you're moving into that experiential marketing place where you're not just selling the bag. You're creating an entire environment for people to interact with. Um, and, you know, I know it's like very fatty right now to do things like that. So. Two questions. One, do you plan on doing more? But also, how do you avoid becoming like the next museum of pizza? Or, you know, we keep seeing other brands do these types of um, experiences, but they don't seem to really fit within the brand or really feel like there's a real human emotional connection with the thing. So how do you avoid doing that? Like, how do you how does that inform what you build? Yeah, I mean, first, I have to say that that the museum of of ice cream or, and all of those that um, they basically exist for Instagram. Totally. Um, whether or not you agree with it, it is crazy what they've been able to oh, do. Oh, yeah, like totally. Lines, I'm not knocking it, but it, 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 um, at some point there's so many of those. Yeah, there's so many. I feel like there's, there's. I mean, even in New York right now, there's like five There's like that the egg, happening. the Museum of Eggs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many. Um, but I think, I think those, those work because they're playing into just kind of people's desire to have interesting content to post on social media. I think what's been really interesting for us and what's probably contributed to our momentum is the fact that, um, you know, we're in the age of Instagram. Um, A lot of people on Instagram see travel and all the things you do when you travel as a status symbol. And it's not just about like the places you're going. It's like 
you know, a few years ago, if you had said that people would be taking photos outside of airports or like with their suitcases, that would have been really weird. We launched kind of at the time when that that was starting to happen. And part of it was, you know, people were traveling a lot more. Millennials are traveling a lot more. And we were the bag that um, that they wanted in those photos. So, um, you know, all of the wonderful things about our product aside, it was a great prop for, yeah. for all of that. But it still, again, stems from like a place of authenticity. And like we actually talk about travel and and that's not all we are. It just happens to look really good in photos, which helps. That's awesome. It leads into another question. So you have to do that with your customers. You already talked about how you have to do that with your staff. The staff has to believe in the story of the brand, too. How does that affect how you talk to funders? You know, you've raised a lot of money and you sold the story to VCs before you had a product, which is amazing. Like you didn't even have a prototype. So what was the story that you sold them? Was it similar? How, how did you frame that for them? Well, I think it's um, a very nice thing to be able to to talk about our story in this way, but it's not the reality when you're talking to investors. We're really lucky in that our um, our biggest investors around the table have been with us since the beginning. So they've kind of seen the evolution of the brand. Um, they invested because they believed in brand and marketing. And that was really important to us because there were some investors, I think, when we were doing our seed round that we could have tried a little harder to convince. But you know, our thinking was if we have to convince them now of like this most basic thing that we believe in, we're going to have to explain all of our decisions. And uh, I mean, I'm, that's they're investing point. totally. And also they're investing in you right? Uh, and yeah. your co-founder ultimately. Right. So. Yeah. But I mean, I think now there's a lot more investors, especially con- like investors who specialize in direct to consumer who understand that brand is a big part of the differentiator. But if you think about, you know, before us, there's like Warby Parker, Bonobos, Casper had started a little bit before us, um, and then and then came like Away and Glossier and Allbirds. So we're this like other wave, and there weren't that many examples of why a company worked or why a company mm-hmm. didn't. Um, and now you know, anytime there's like a new kind of like Warby Parker for X, um, every time there's a new like industry that people are trying to create a direct-to-consumer brand for, it's kind of easy to tell like who's going to win right. based on the brand. But even it was as recently as, you know, three, three and a half years ago when we were fundraising, that wasn't really a thing. So we would go into these seed uh, pitches and talk about um, how how the thing that would differentiate is, is brand. And that like, yes, Samsonite could probably copy our product overnight because they had billions of dollars and lots of factories and decades of experience, but they couldn't copy our brand and our community. And you have, you know, venture capitalists who are looking for massive, massive returns, and you're trying to tell them that they're going to get it because you have a good brand and community that doesn't exist yet. Um, so I don't blame some of them for not understanding, but I think the ones that did, like Foreigner Ventures, um, has been literally around the table with us since the beginning. Um, having investors that really understood that from the beginning and supported our decisions and and funded our decisions uh, really made a huge difference. And you two were first-time entrepreneurs when you went to the table with these investors, right? Yeah. Did you feel like you had any, um, you know, from the first meeting to the last meeting, a growth in how you presented yourself to those types of people? Yeah, after every meeting. I mean, so we had, we had this Google Doc of maybe... 
50-ish investors who we th- we thought we might have a chance with based on their existing portfolio or based on a company they invested in that was similar to us. Um, and basically after every meeting, you just, like you, we would sit on the subway and like recap, you know, what went well, what went wrong, and then change our pitch based, based on all of the meetings that came before that. Um, so I think that was a huge period of growth for me when we were seed fundraising. Um, we raised two and a half million dollars in that round. We raised more than eighty-one million dollars in total. Amazing! Wow. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, and um, but I think that that first two million, it's just that's the hardest because you're like yeah. you're really just you know trying to get them to invest in you. We didn't have a product. We didn't yeah. have a brand. We didn't have customers. And you have performers that are really just based on nothing. Yeah, you know, and everyone nothing. knows but, that. But yeah. in a you know? sense, isn't it? I mean, you could also make the argument that when something doesn't exist, it can be as big as you're saying it is. And yeah, and it so starts, you have it can to be, work against you. Yeah, right. you have to be a good storyteller. And um it was a little deflating at times because you're one, it's like it's so repetitive. You're like, okay, let me tell the story again, but with the same amount of fervor and excitement mm-hmm. as, as the first time. Um, and then you're like kind of reading their body language and you're like, oh, they don't really care. Like, what else can I mm-hmm. say? Um, whereas like our series A, B, and C, it's like look at the traction, look at the numbers, look at the growth, and and VCs pay attention to that. Right. Um, so f- I think for me, because you know, I'm the one that's all about brand and storytelling. The seed was the hardest for me because it was like a true test of my ability to to pitch it. And then, you know, when you're starting a company, you pitch every day, whether it's to investors, to customers, to press. And, you know, years and years later, you're, you're still doing it and telling the story. So um, I'm, I'm glad I, I made it through that. But, <laughs> but those first two million were really the hardest. Yeah. So interesting. That is really interesting. What about convincing uh, like partner manufacturers? And this is something that comes up in the food industry a lot where All the time. I have friends who they want to you know, go and start to scale. And they're like, I can't convince anyone to, we'd call it co-packing or co-manufacturing in our world. But they have such a hard time you know, selling the vision or they're in between the first PO. Or So can you talk about that and maybe give some advice to our listeners, like how to really sell a manufacturer when you're going to come in with a tiny, tiny piece of the pie chart of their business? Yeah, I would say it's the same exact thing as our, our seed fundraising because we had, we had to do the same thing too. We went... Um, we went and looked for kind of the best luggage manufacturers. They were all in Asia. We flew over there countless times. Um, and, and but with a um, unsatisfactory suitcase at that point. Oh yeah, we, I mean, I I still I was like, well, now we're starting a company, so I can't <laughs> buy a new one. Yeah, yeah. Was, like borrowing. <laughs> yeah, Whole Foods totes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. perfect. So, there, there was like there was really a nice year of in between. Yeah. I'm like, um, so we would fly to Asia countless times to meet with manufacturers and. We had to convince them, too, as much as we had to convince investors, if not more, um, because they are they have real customers who are paying them real money. And you're asking them to reserve factory lines yeah. for you and um, and learn a new a whole new product. Yeah, exactly. I think what got them really excited and we and we love our manufacturer. They've actually become a real partner to us. What got them excited is that we came with a real vision for what we wanted to create. And it was, you know, nicer than anything they'd ever done. So for them, too, it was also a challenge. It was something that they hadn't done before. And they they saw the potential. I think if we went in there with just like some design that they're like, okay, we could do that in our sleep. Um, I don't know if they would have taken us on. But I, I think they were excited to actually create the product that we were talking about. 
Um, but yeah, it's just it's all pitching is it's just figuring out what that other person what they're going to get out of it. Yeah, what yeah. they're going to get out of it. They don't, they don't care about you if they don't know you in the beginning. Like you right. build the relationships over time, but, you know, investors are looking for returns. Factories are looking to, you know, make more and more of your product and, and have you become a big part of their business like ours did, you know. And customers are always looking to see what they can get out of it. And I think, you know, it's not about changing your story, but framing it in a way that makes sense to who you're talking to. I've also found, I think, some of it is just if they're going to say no to a lot of people because it's not a good fit, also they're going to start to choose like who do they want to work with on a personal standpoint because I think it's such a deep connected relationship. So there's something to be said just about, you know, maybe they just also saw in in both of you like this is this is going to be interesting. We're going to have fun. Like this is these are people that I actually want to work with and be partners with. There's sort of a there's a personal level to it, too, because people do business for people in the end of the day. One other thing is if you're a smart manufacturer, you realize that the younger brands are the future of your company. Very true. Um, and that's something I think that when you end up finding the right manufacturer or co-manufacturer, it's also a person who has a vision. Exactly. And I think it's it's funny because there were some manufacturers who would pick us up from the airport or the train station and and just be waiting like they're waiting for for the guys to come. And um, and they didn't expect to like, see. And who two, are you? Yeah. Like, I think we were Steph and I were maybe 27 when, when wow. this was all happening. Um, and, you know, we were in like our yoga pants and, and hoodies being like, hi, it's us. Like, We've been jo- emailing. Drop. <laughs> like, That's, that Jen. must have felt so good. And yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah totally. Uh, you guys are badasses. I love it. I, yeah, I agree. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smart water. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Speaking of being a badass, um, your company is in this group of companies that has become known as a disruptor brand. Before Away, something we were talking about, there was Samsonite, and they were like, what's another luggage brand? Toomey? I I can't even really (laughs) think of another luggage brand that's doing what you're doing because obviously those brands haven't connected with me. But... um, my guess is that they're the bigger boys in the market. You talked Samsonite has billions of dollars. Do you think those companies are afraid of what you're building? I don't know. I think if they were the type to be afraid, they probably would have done something. And not with us, but I mean, even before we existed, they probably would have tried to create new things or to innovate. Um, I think, you know, I've worked at really big companies before and I've worked at really small companies um, and I think it's almost what I've noticed is that there are individuals within the companies who notice um, when there are up and comers on the market. You know, we actually we see them look at our entire company's LinkedIn's. You know, we see them visit our stores um, like all of these employees from the incumbents. But I don't know, like, if that actually goes anywhere or mm-hmm. I don't know if um, like the, the leadership is going to do anything about it. Um, and there's not really like initiatives towards it. I think what's been interesting in the luggage industry specifically is that, you know, we were kind of the first to really talk about luggage as it fits into your lifestyle and really try to make it a, a lifestyle brand. And we've seen a shift towards that kind of marketing and that kind of um, 
that kind of content in the luggage space from from a lot of other companies, which is definitely, you know, I don't want to say it was us and, and our idea, but it's definitely like flattering and exciting to see that. Um, you made the right bet. Yeah. And that there's a, there's a real shift in the market for how people are talking to customers who want to buy luggage. So how do you respond nimbly to changes in the marketplace with such a new product? I think we, we've always been um, the kind of founders and the kind of team that that knows that there's always going to be surprises. And, you know, that seems obvious now, but there are so many founders who are like, I never planned for this. And it's like, that's your whole life. Um, <laughs> you know, just like surprises and, and things <laughs> coming at you and curveballs. Um, but one of the things we value the most is our relationship with the customer. It's why we're, you know, so obsessed with the direct-to-consumer model. Um, and I think we've really seen that benefit us. Um, earlier this year, or at the end of last year, there was um, a change in the airline regulations about being able to bring uh, lithium-ion batteries on board, and our carry-ons have one. Um, and it's removable, and it ab- abides by all the rules. But we had two versions of the bag, one version where the battery was removable from the inside and one where it was like more easily removable from the outside. And um, I th- it could have been disastrous. Um, I don't think we realized just how bad it could have been, but it actually put some of our competitors out of business. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and we didn't realize that at the time because what we were thinking about is, okay, we have this one version of the product, um, but we could make it better for our customers by having it pop out of the outside, and we actually listened to that customer feedback. So by the time these airline regulations uh, came into play, we actually already had the new product out on the market, and we did this whole thing to actually um, switch out uh, like the the battery for our our earlier customers. Um, Just as a show of, you know, we wanted them to have the best experience, you know, airline regulations or not. And I think that it honestly resulted in so much goodwill for the company, um, and it we like we're no, in this together, basically. Yeah, and also that you were ready for it. Like, yeah. you, if you had not prepared to have a new market or a new bag to market by the time the regulation was in place, that could have been. Yeah, but we death. didn't. We didn't even know the regulation was wow. was coming. It was just that it was about listening to. Customers. It was about yeah, listening we listened to, customers. to the customers. That's really fascinating. Yeah, so we listened to the customers. We created this product, and the timing was just really perfect and um and you know it was hard and and our team was working around the clock and there were customers who had bad experiences because of of the airlines that you know we did everything in our power and and sometimes tried to go above our power um and talk to the airlines and and helping them solve it but there's no way we could have done that without that customer relationship because we know every single person who had one of the older bags we could reach out to them mm. we could we could swap out their their battery pack and i think that's something that um that we really value and that's what because we have that relationship we can kind of just roll with the punches and and our customers appreciate that we're in it together with them so because I, I think what's exciting about lifestyle brands that they're such a kind of strong core of values and vision is it does leave the door open um, for the possibility of doing more things with that, you know, kind of core that you establish. So you And that's see, why it's exciting. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, there's definitely, you know, potential more white space there. Do you see your brand doing more extensions? Where do you see this all going? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really just the beginning. We, we've talked about so many things, and, and we still, you know, up until a few months ago, we still just sold the suitcase. We just started selling travel goods that were not the suitcase um, earlier this year. So, Are you manufacturing those as well, or it's, uh, other brands? Uh, no, so we make we design and and make and sell Great. everything. It's it's all of our own stuff, and um and that's really exciting. But we still have so much to go in the travel goods space. And if you think about all of the things that are wrong in travel, I mean, pretty much everything. Can you fix my chair <laughs> on the plane? I mean, that would be amazing, right? People talk. I, you know, it's funny with like all the different things people bring up to me. Like I'm someone's sure. like, "Please fix airport lounges," and I'm like, "I don't <laughs> know if that's like the top priority." Um, and I'm not saying that we want to own a fleet of airplanes or own a ton of real estate into our own hotels, but it's like, how can we uniquely solve it? Um, I think one of the beautiful things is that Steph and I didn't know anything about luggage, so we didn't look for like the right way to do luggage. We just looked for the best way to, to solve this problem. And as we think about hotels and airlines and like booking trips and um, – and experiences that you have while you're on those trips. Like, we also don't have experience in those things besides, you know, we've stayed in hotels and gone on a lot of flights and gone on trips. Um, so I think we we actually have, like, a really interesting challenge ahead of us in in, in creatively solving these problems. Um, and I sometimes it's good to be an outsider, honestly. Yeah, oh, I agree. It's, it's honestly the best thing. There's there's one person in on the entire way team who's ever worked in luggage before. Wow. Amazing. How <laughs> many st- and you have 200 staff? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I guess it's also a fairly ne- like niche like we were saying there's not that many. Well, there's enough well, companies. Well, I it's, think it also highlights that you're hiring people unusual. based on yeah. on merit beyond Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we hire people based on the experience that they bring to the table in their field. Yeah. And if some, you know, I get resumes all the time that someone's like, hey, I ran marketing for this luggage company. And I'm like, but we don't well, like their marketing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we literally started this yeah, because yeah. there wasn't any good yeah, marketing right, yeah. in luggage. So, um, but that's so, yeah. a really good point that, you know, you make the argument that experience will do something good for obviously building your team, but then you could be limited in your view versus coming from another field, you could say, look, there's a playbook that works and you could you could move that across many brands, maybe as long as they're all premium brands. That's the only thing that you need to connect with. So it's I think a really interesting, you know, point for for the listeners is is what's the what's the best criteria? Yeah. And I th- I think as we look at the different departments that we're hiring for, um, and there's so many openings across the entire company, but we're like, if it's marketing, who are the who are the brands that we look to that are really good at certain types of marketing if it's manufacturing that's a different set of brands so we're not we're also just not recruiting from the same right. brands it just really depends on on what the job is yeah. um, but luggage is definitely not a requirement for any of those <laughs> I love thinking about a way as a platform across industries like I want my I want to take my away plane with my away bag to my away hotel I'm not even kidding because <laughs> I know that that experience would be better than what I'm experiencing today. Yeah, and I think it's like maybe an away hotel in in one market looks totally different from an away hotel in another mm-hmm. because we've realized that travelers have like the same basic set of needs but all have like very different preferences. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we're steering the company to Amazing. the future. So at the end of every show, we ask our guests to share one skill, uh, how it helped them build their business or drive growth in one way or another. Uh, if you can tell us your skill and break it down for our audience. Well, I think we've talked a lot about brand and storytelling, and that's 
That's my only skill. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. But <laughs> one of the things I'm I'm really focusing on right now, I think as the company has grown so much, the scope of my role, of everyone's role has changed. Even if you started it away six months ago, the things that you're working on now and, and the people that you're working with, it's just a completely different landscape. And something that I'm thinking a lot about and talking to the team a lot about is um, focusing on the right work at the right time. And it's a really hard concept for a lot of people, myself included, because um, I'm definitely one of those people that um, at my worst, I overpromise and under deliver and I want to say yes to everything and I'm excited by everything. And I, I think just by um, like the nature of the people we hire is the same. They're excited to do things and, and to get them done, but it's just impossible to get it all done. So I think one of the skills that um, we're all working on is is trying to figure out what's actually essential um, and making sure that we know how to say no to the things that aren't. Um, working smart, not hard. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'm actually doing it in my personal life too. So get um, a lot of invitations to do things, um, you know. Like be on podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Like, twi- <laughs> like this one. 22-year-old <laughs> me would have been like, tomorrow. wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have this whole thing. Um, it's easier practice in my personal life. But if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. So um, even just like invites to dinners where I'm like, Oh, yeah, that could be fun. But oh, like the day rolls around and you're like, right. why did I say yes to this? Right. Um, so I've just been very, very um, selective about what I say yes to at work and in my personal life. And it has made a world of difference because like now I'm not complaining as much about not having time. Like now I have time to think longer about the creative things. And I think, you know, you guys know like in the creative process, it's not like – it's not like a, is it done? Yes or no. Sometimes you just need more time. And I wasn't giving myself that yeah, time. Yeah. It's kind of never done, right? Yeah. It's like- I, I encourage like literally my whole team to do it. And I think especially a lot of the more junior employees, um, when I tell them, I'm like, if your manager is assigning you a piece of work and like you don't have any context or you don't understand why it makes sense, like you can ask and you can push back. And they're all like, what do you mean? Like, you know, what – what company would ever tell us to do that? But I think it's so important because um, there's just a million things going on and um, you can just spend so much time working on something that's like not actually going to move the needle. And that's yeah. good awareness for the ma- management. Really think about not only the work you're doing, but the tasks you're assigning, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And also I've realized that it can very easily happen that a task can get assigned almost really informally, like you didn't realize you were even asking someone to do something, and that's, then they spend their whole day, and then you're like, oh, definitely. every word counts. Yeah, right. that's or been like one of writing, the biggest learnings yeah. for me. Um, you know, sometimes, and I, I, like, I'm just, I'm very, like, laid back with the whole team, so sometimes I don't realize that I'll say something kind of offhandedly in a meeting, and someone will take it as, like, an assignment. And come back to me a few weeks later and be like, here's the thing. And I'm like, like wait, no, 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 I was joking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Jen, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm blown away. There you go. Oh, man. You nailed it. <laughs> Nine out we're, of cutting, we're cutting that out. <laughs> we are not...
Thanks for listening to Start to Sale. We really want to hear what you're getting out of the conversations we're having with these wonderful entrepreneurs. And we want to know what you want more of. Are there entrepreneurs that you love that you want us to talk to? Is there a resource you need? Feel free to send us an email at hi at starttosale.co or direct message us on Instagram. I'm at Erin Patinkin, and Natasha is at Natasha J. Case. We'd love to hear from you if you've been able to apply anything from Start to Sale episodes to your business. We'll be continuing the conversation on our website, starttosale.co, where you'll find resources and more. And of course, we'd love a review in whatever podcast app you use. Tell us what you think whenever you can spare the time. We'll talk to you soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste.